Hi, and welcome to the Veterans Legal Lowdown, brought to you by Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide. In each episode, we break down a different VA disability topic or share our take on the latest VA benefit news. This is the Veterans Legal Lowdown with Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick. I'm Michael Estrito. I'm Michelle DeTore. I'm Rachel Foster. And today we're talking about seven of the most important VA forms and how to use them. So let's get started today. Our first form that we want to discuss is the VA21-526EZ. And Michelle, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what this form is and also how it's used. Sure. So this is the application for compensation. It's primarily the first form most veterans file because it's usually the form that you're using when you first file a claim. Um, You can use it for new claims, claims for an increased rating, um, maybe service connection for secondary conditions to conditions you're already your service connected for. Um, I think the thing just to keep in mind is with um, the new system appeals management, um, you can't necessarily just file a 526 if you were already previously filed for the case or like the issue. Now you actually need to file a different form, which Rachel will be discussing a little bit later. Um, but initial claims, initial increased rating claims and are usually what the form is primarily used for. And so when filing a 526EZ, um, are you allowed to, and we're talking about this in the context of submitting a legacy claim, Yep. Um, are you allowed to submit additional evidence? Are you required to submit additional evidence? Um, is there a difference between what's commonly known as this, you know, the standard claims process versus the fully developed claim process? Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's two different types of claims you you technically file. You file what they call a fully developed claim, FDC. And when you file that, it's supposed to be an expedited process. And the reason it's expedited is it's saying that your claim that you're filing is fully developed. The VA does not need to develop it anymore because all evidence needed to to adjudicate your appeal is before VA. It doesn't mean that VA won't maybe schedule an examination. It just means that you're acknowledging VA doesn't have to. And then. With the standard claims form, you're asking VA to develop your case, which may be go out and get medical records, examinations, treatment records. Um, there's not really a pro or con to one unless like, you want VA to go get treatment records or you think that you need a VA examination. Uh, I think it's just important to be mindful of the fact when you file a fully developed claim, VA isn't likely not going to uh, do any development. Uh, yeah, and those are good points. So. Um now say you're a veteran or a veteran's advocate, you've completed the form. Um, what are some different ways that you can go about submitting this form to VA? Sure. For veterans, you can upload it through eBenefits, uh, which is a quick and easy way to do it. Uh, you can also mail it. You can fax it. Just keep in mind when you're mailing and faxing it, you're mailing it and sending it to the Evidence Intake Center, not the VA Regional Office. You can also, if you live near a VA Regional Office, you can bring it down and deliver it in person. Um, And then the final thing about filing a 526EZ, are there certain rules that govern, um, you know, when a legal representation can charge for, you know, matters from filing the 526EZ? Are there certain rules that govern that? Sure. So uh, representatives cannot charge fees on initial claims. So as long as there hasn't been a decision and a subsequent appeal of that decision, 
the representative should not be entitled to any fee on initial claims. So most of the time, if somebody is filing, uh, you know, a representative is submitting a 526 easy for you, and there is a subsequent decision granting benefits, there would be no fee entitlement for that representative. Great, uh, thank you. So it, one of the, really the next form that we want to get into talking about is VA Form twenty one. 8940, or what's commonly called 8940. Um, and Rachel, maybe you could discuss a little bit about what this form is, what, what's it really intended to be used for? Yeah, absolutely. So the 8940 is an application for increased compensation based on unemployability. Um, it's a form that VA relies heavily on when they are developing TDIU claims and appeals. Um, Essentially, it is a three-page form. It asks the veteran um, questions regarding their occupational history. So when was the last time they worked full-time? Um, when did they have the highest annual earnings? What were they doing at that time? What was their last five years of employment? Um, where did they work? And it also asks for educational history. What's the highest level of education that they completed? Um, as well as if when they were able, when they became too disabled to work as a result of their service-connected disabilities. So they can also list what their service-connected disabilities are that contributed to their unemployability. Right, and, and so when we are talking about individual unemployability or TDIU, um, just to take a step back, can you explain a little bit about what individual unemployability is? So it is to a total disability rating based on individual unemployability, as you mentioned, TDIU. So essentially, when a veteran's total combined evaluation is less than 100%, <clears throat> they can still get paid at the 100% rate if their disabilities result in an inability for them to secure or follow substantially gainful occupations. Um, so VA has a couple different ways that they consider TDIU. So a veteran could meet uh, scheduler requirements for TDIU, meaning that they have um, a single disability rated as 60% or total combined evaluation of at least 70% with one of those disabilities um, being a single 40%. And even if you don't meet those scheduler criteria, VA will still consider TDIU on an extra scheduler basis. So we refer to it as 4.16B um, consideration of TDIU. Um, and that's essentially how veteran can, veterans can qualify, either on a scheduler or extra scheduler um, basis. However, the central question is whether or not the veteran is able to, to secure or follow gainful occupations as a result of their disabilities. Um, and what happens if a veteran doesn't use this form when they're trying to seek TDIU benefits? So as I mentioned, VA relies heavily on this form. If they request an 8940 and the veteran doesn't submit the 8940, they could use that as grounds to deny the claim. Um, so a minute ago you said that some of the common questions that were asked on the 8940 were about employment history, um, maybe you know income within the last 12 years, um, education or training. Um, so really why is VA asking these questions? So when they have to determine, one of their jobs is to determine whether the veteran service-connected disabilities result in unemployability, but they have to consider factors such as their educational background, occupational background, and the limitations of their service-connected disabilities. So they rely on that information on the 8940 to make those determinations. Okay. Um, uh, one common thing that I see in my practice, I'm sure you do as well, is um, we'll often, it's, it's a simple problem, but it can be uh, difficult to deal with sometimes. 
when a veteran has a very extensive maybe prior employment history or educational history um, or treatment records um, or treatment history rather, what would a veteran do or a veteran's advocate do if they need more room, if it won't all fit on the, on the form that's provided? So there is on the last page a box that says remarks. Um, it's a small section that the veteran can use to add additional information if it doesn't fit on the form. Um, but most of the time that's not enough information for what you need to convey to VA. So you can certainly attach addendum pages or additional pages to go along with the 8940 to, to give the best picture of what your educational and occupational history is. Okay, great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, moving on, the next form that we want to talk about is one of the newer forms. Um, it's one of the forms, it's, it's 20-0995, it's what's called the Supplemental Claim Form. This is a form that is used in the new Appeals Modernization um, Program, the new system, if you will call it that, um, as opposed to the Legacy appeal System. This is a form that is submitted when a veteran wishes to file what's called a Supplemental Claim. Um, and by way of background, a supplemental claim can be filed uh, when a veteran wishes to submit what's called new and relevant evidence with their claim or appeal. Um, new evidence just means evidence that wasn't previously before the VA adjudicator when they previously decided the claim. Um, and relevant evidence just means that the evidence that's being submitted must in some way tend to prove the veteran's claim or appeal. It doesn't have to fully, um, it's, it's not a high standard, it doesn't have to fully um, prove the claim or appeal, but it has to in some way move the ball in the direction of, of proving the claim or appeal. Um, and so again, this, this is a form that must, be, must be submitted whenever a veteran's looking to appeal either a rating decision, um, Maybe they're looking to appeal, you know, a board decision under the new system, or even under the new system, they can appeal um, a court decision um, by submitting a supplemental claim, provided they, of course, have new and relevant evidence to do so. Um, so, one thing that's unique about filing a supplemental claim is that um, in doing so, VA under this new system, the AMA, they will have the duty to assist. The duty to assist applies and VA will then be required to take reasonable efforts essentially to help develop the veteran's claim. This is unique in the new system as opposed to the legacy or the, the old system in the sense that um, in the other lanes in AMA, VA doesn't have this same duty to assist that they might have once had. Um, so for veterans seeking to uh, have VA further develop their case, they might want to consider submitting a supplemental claim. Um, they'll either need to submit new and relevant evidence or they can identify uh, new evidence that they would like VA to go get. So for instance, say VA is looking, or say a veteran is looking to submit a, suppl uh, submit a supplemental claim um, and they're currently treating for a condition and th the claim or the appeal that they're submitting is for an increased rating they can identify treatment records where, uh, from the provider where they're currently treating and have VA go get those treatment records so that they can then um, help further develop their case and help prove their case, hopefully. One thing in, that's important to note is that when filing a supplemental claim, um, veterans should do so within the one-year time period 
from when the decision was issued if they want to preserve the earliest effective date that they can preserve for that claim. Um, outside of that period, veterans will still be able to submit a supplemental claim, provided, of course, like we said, they have new and relevant evidence, um, but they will lose the effective date if they don't appeal within that one year period. So, you know, form 0995, the supplemental claim form, is a very important form, especially now as we move away from the legacy or the old system and move into the appeals modernization system. Um, the next form that we want to discuss is actually also a new form under AMA. Uh, Michelle, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about form 0996. It's the higher level review form. Um, could you, could you t first tell us a little bit about you know, what the higher level review option is under AMA? Sure. So under AMA, you have a new option um, and it's in response to filing an original claim and getting a decision off of that or getting a decision from a supplemental claim lane. At this point in time, you can request that your decision or your, your issue be re reviewed by a higher level adjudicator. Um, it usually, it's you can choose whether or not it's reviewed within the same regional office or another regional office but they'll be issuing a decision. I think a big thing with this lane is you cannot submit new evidence. New evidence includes, you know, talking about treatment records, medical opinions, statements. They're only going to review based on the evidence that was of record at the time the previous adjudicator reviewed the file. So that's just something that is, if you're going into this lane, it's something to be very mindful of. It's typically a faster lane to be in. Uh, I would say we're usually getting to submit decisions in like two to three months, sometimes a little longer now that the fact that it's the fastest lane has kind of been announced. A lot of more people are hopping into it. Um, but it's just something to be mindful of when you are going into the lane that there is no due process in this lane. And in terms of the duty to assist that we were speaking about in the supplemental claim lane, um, is there really a duty to assist in AMA in the higher level review option? No, they're not going to go out and develop your case. They're not going to get exams, treatment records, or anything. They're only going to use the evidence of record that was previously there before the previous adjudicator. Now, in terms of filing a higher level review appeal um, with form you know, 20-0996, um, when can a veteran file this? They can file it in response to an original decision. So you file an original claim, you get a decision, you can go into one of any of the three lanes. At this point in time, you can go higher level review. And you can also do it from a supplemental claim decision. You cannot do it on a higher level review decision. Um, so if you get a higher level review decision, you can't again go higher level review and you cannot go, you not do it for a board, excuse me, a board or a CAVC decision. Um, as part of the higher level review process, one of the options veterans now have, and I believe it's even an option they can check on the form itself, is to have an informal conference. Um, can you speak to us a little bit about you know, that process and if a veteran chooses to select that, how they would go about doing that? So there's a certain area in the form that asks if you would like to have an informal draw conference. So you're going to be talking to the adjudicator, essentially reviewing your case. You can schedule a time. They kind of check off certain blocks of time that might be more advantage for you at the time. And they'll give you a call to discuss your case. They're not going to really like argue back and forth with you about it. It just gives you a chance to be heard on the case. It does create a little bit of a delay um, in our experience if you do request one. And typically the process is very informal. They're gonna give you a call, they're over the phone, You know, make sure when you do uh, file the form that you give the phone number you want them to contact you on. And they're gonna give you a call and kind of just go through your case a little bit or the issue. One thing to be mindful of, 
is if you're not prepared or if you want a day or something just to, you know, be able to have everything in front of you to talk through with the adjudicator, you can ask um, and you can see if they'd be willing to do it on another day. Uh, we were actually just talking about whether the process is different in the new system versus the legacy system, and it's pretty much the same. Um, the only thing you're really going to see now is they're not going to be, again, you can't say you can't identify or submit new evidence. You can't say, well, you know, if you go get my treatment records, they show this. You you are only, again, in the new system just talking about the evidence of record at the time. Yeah, this conference was really intended, I think, to replace the former DRO conference yep. um, in the legacy system. Um, and so, you know, I've personally conducted a few of these, um, and they seem to work pretty similarly to how the DRO conferences have worked historically in legacy. Um, now, with filing a higher level review appeal, are there certain deadlines that veterans should be aware of here? Yep. So you only have a year to file. Mm -hmm. It's a year from the date you are notified of your either supplemental claim decision or your initial claim decision. Okay. Um, all right, moving on. The next form that we would like to discuss here, Rachel, um, is the it's the 10182, and this is what's called the decision review request. Um, this form is used when veterans are looking to appeal their case to the Board of Veterans' Appeals. Um, this, so in the legacy system, and Rachel, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Mm -hmm. In the legacy system, veterans would file a notice of disagreement. This form is sometimes called a notice of disagreement, but it's vastly different. And maybe you could speak to that a little bit and how it's different now in AMA versus how it was previously filed in legacy. Of course. Um, one of the major differences is where you file. So in the legacy system, the notice of disagreement was filed with your agency of original jurisdiction, your regional office. Um, in AMA, that changes. A notice of disagreement now goes directly to the Board of Veterans' Appeals. Um, and with the new AMA system, you now have the option to choose one of three lanes to have the Board review your case. So. Could you describe a little bit for us what those three lanes are um, and then get into maybe some of the differences between the lanes? Yeah, of course. So one of the three options um, is the direct docket lane. So the three options altogether are direct docket, evidence docket, and hearing docket. If you choose the direct docket, that essentially means that you are not submitting any new evidence to the board. Um, it tends to be the fastest decision um, because you're not submitting any new evidence and you're not requesting a hearing. Basically, you're asking the veterans law judge to make a decision based on the evidence already of record. Um, in the evidence submission docket, you have the opportunity to submit additional evidence, but you can only do that either with the submission of the notice of disagreement or within 90 days of submitting that notice of disagreement. And then the last option is the hearing docket. Um, this one does tend to take the longest just because um, the wait time for hearings is so long, but you do have an opportunity to appear before a veterans law judge at a hearing. Um, you also have an opportunity to submit evidence either at the hearing itself or 90 days following the hearing. And um, if veterans are looking to file this form and appeal their case to the board, can they appeal to the board after any decision? Are there certain decisions where they, um, you know, can't appeal to the board from, or you know, 
if, if, if a veteran is looking to appeal to the board, I guess, my question is, you know, what types of decisions can they appeal from? So the board lane is open for review of any decision made by the regional office. So a supplemental claim decision, a higher level review decision, or an initial rating decision. And so that's different, right, because as we talked about uh, just a second ago, veterans who are looking to appeal and file a higher level review form, um, they are not allowed to do so if the prior decision that they're appealing was a higher level review appeal, uh, or a decision rather, um, or if it was a board decision that they received. Um, we actually have one question. Um, the question is, how would informal conferences work when a veteran has a rep and wants to rep and wants the representative to be on the informal conference call. Uh, so that's a good question. Do either of you want to take that? If not, I can do sure, that. Sure, I can handle it. Okay. Um, so typically, they actually will contact your representative first. Uh, that's typically the number that is provided on the form. And because you're representative, you're represented. They have to contact them um, because they can't just usually contact you directly on the matter. So typically, for us, when we represent a client and we've asked for one, they contact us. Um, and they try to talk to us and set up a time, if possible, for us to go forward with uh, the conference. Yeah, they really, VA really shouldn't be reaching out to the veteran to hold the conference um, when the veteran is represented and the veteran's representative has no knowledge that the conference is going to be held and uh, the veteran's representative has no ability to really participate in the conference. Um, so that's, I, I personally haven't seen that happen in my practice, but I think it's definitely something to be on the lookout for. Um, and then following up, Rachel, just one last issue here, one last question regarding appeals to the board. Um, are there certain deadlines that veterans must be aware of for filing that form? Yes. So in order to preserve the effective date of your claims, um, you're going to want, you you will need to file the notice of disagreement within one year of that decision to the board. Okay. Uh, all right, great. Um, moving on, the next form that we want to speak about here is uh, a little bit different in the sense that it's not an appeal form, but nevertheless, it is an important form for veterans to be aware of. Um, it's Form 21-4138, and this is a statement in support of claim. Um, this form really allows veterans to provide lay testimony or, uh, you know, some people call it an affidavit, whatever it may be. It's an opportunity for veterans to provide lay testimony and report on either the severity of their symptoms, for instance, or maybe they are seeking service connection for PTSD and they'd like to detail their stressor. Um, so it's an opportunity for veterans to kind of lay out any information they'd like to relate to VA for them to consider in adjudicating their case. Um, something interesting about this statement is that it's not just for veterans necessarily to uh, fill out and submit. They can also have um, somebody submit it and give a statement on their behalf. So that might be a spouse, for instance, or um, you know, a, a service buddy, you know, something that's called a buddy statement in, in VA land. Um, so this form can be used for several different uh, purposes um, and in di different ways, but really, like I said, it's just to relay to VA uh, lay testimony that they would like VA to consider in adjudicating their case. Um, you know, one example, just to relate this to something we've seen in, in our practice, you know, one example of this is if a veteran is seeking, say, an increased rating for their headaches condition, um, a veteran may want to consider filling out a statement in support of claim, and if this is the case, they can express, you know, the increased severity that they are now experiencing 
um, and they can lay it out for, for VA to consider as well as all the other evidence that's already in the file. Um, do either of you have any additional information or anything else that you wanted to touch upon on that statement? I think that it's important for veterans to know that prior to 2015, you could actually, and, and just people when you know, you're thinking about your case, you could submit claims and appeals on this form and it was frequently used for that. Mm, that's a good point. That's a very good point. But post-2015, it's a little bit different, required. right? Yep. Yeah. So um, as is kind of a common theme with all of these different, uh, different forms that we're speaking about today, um, VA now, post-2015, is much more, I think it's fair to say, right, that they're much more uh, strict in requiring veterans to fill out forms in specific instances. So um, that's why it's so important that, you know, veterans be aware of these different types of forms and fill them out uh, when necessary. Um, moving on to the I'm sorry. Like the only thing I was going <laughs> to add um, when you were talking about the statement in support of claims yes. is that there is a specific form for PTSD claims. That's the VA form 21-0781. If you are filing a claim for PTSD, VA may ask you to submit this or you may want to submit it on your behalf just because it has very specific information yes. such as unit assignments, um, any witnesses mm -hmm. of anyone who saw the stressor that VA wants to corroborate. It's just a very specific statement in support of the claim that's tailored for PTSD claims. Yeah, that's a great point, Rachel. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and so moving on to our final form that we want to discuss here today, it's the 21686C, and this is the declaration application request to add or remove dependents. Um, veterans can receive additional compensation above and beyond what they receive for their service-connected disabilities under certain situations when they have qualifying dependents. And so typically, uh, some of the basic requirements are that the veteran be service-connected at a third combined 30% or more rating. Um, and then have a qualifying dependent, um, such as a child or uh, a spouse. Um, so, Michelle, maybe you could speak to us a little bit about, um, you know, different situations in which a veteran may file for dependency benefits and use this 686C form. Yeah. So, anytime that you become service connected and you're rated now at 30% or more, like Mike said, you're eligible. The thing to be mindful is VA will just tell you you might be eligible, but they won't prompt you to really fill this out. So be mindful of, you know, when you're going to be eligible mm -hmm. for your dependents. Uh, it's typically noted in the rating decision you might be, and it will tell you the form. Uh, so you can go in and fill it out. It's going to ask a very detailed history of your marriages, your divorces, your children's information. So when I talk about marriages and divorces, they're going to want dates, locations, um, and be as accurate and as close as you can to the actual date. They actually want supporting documents too, showing your marriage certificate, your divorce decree. It can be kind of a little cumbersome to obtain all of them um, just to get into VA, but uh, they do have the due process of, you know, needing the documentation. They are supposed to to sympathetically read everything. Um, but the best you can, I would get all supporting documents for children. They want birth certificates, they want their social security numbers, um, they wanna know if they live with you or if not, who else they do live with. And with children that are 18 to 23, you can still get dependency benefits for them because they're, if they're in school, they're still considered a dependent. 
So for those children, you actually need to fill out an additional form called the 674 that kind of goes through their school attendance because then VA wants to know where they're going, if they're going full time, when they're going to be graduating, and you're going to need to be submitting transcripts to show they're in school. Um, typically, if your child is um, under the age of 18, VA will remove them at 18. And if they're 23 or, or going to be 23, they'll be removing them at 23. And so the 686C form can be used, as we've said, to add a dependent, but it also can be used to remove a dependent. Yes. And I think that's important because if veterans fail to remove a dependent when they should, what happens? VA is going to create an overpayment. So this happens sometimes even, VA will send out um, occasionally, it's a 0538 status of dependence questionnaire. They send it out occasionally just to say, hey, has anything changed in your dependence? Please let us know. And if you, one, fail to submit it mm -hmm. back in, they'll reduce you. And also, if they find out that, you know, let's say you, you submitted in and, you know, years ago you were divorced and you failed to let VA know, they're now going to create an overpayment for all the years that they paid you for a spouse that you no longer have or haven't had since that period. So anytime there's any change, whether it's divorce, the child is over the age of 18, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, a death in the family, you do need to report it to VA and you can use these standardized forms. Yeah, that, that really is, I think, a great and critical point and under, underscores why you know, knowing about these forms and using these forms appropriately is so important because yeah. um, it can have uh, some very, you know, significant consequences for veterans and veteran spouses um, if they're not used appropriately. Okay. Um, so that concludes the different forms that we are speaking about today. Um, do either of you have any final thoughts that you would like to discuss about any of this or anything additional? I think one thing important to know is VA is no longer attaching appeal forms to the decisions. They're actually just telling you the form numbers and what they are. I think it's in an effort to go green a little bit, um, kind of have a mm -hmm. little less paper going out in the world, but also because there's multiple appeal options you can take. So you actually will need to go to VA's website and get the form yourself. They do tell you what the form number is typically on the decision, but it is something to be mindful of is if you're used to them attaching it, they're no longer going to be doing that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point and definitely a difference from how it used to be. Yep. So a uh, good thing to know. Um, if we don't have any additional questions, then that concludes our broadcast for today. Thank you all for joining us and Happy New Year. This episode of the Veterans Legal Lowdown was produced by Chisholm, Chisholm & Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide in their VA disability claim. If you're interested in a free case evaluation with CCK, give us a call at 844-549-4500 or visit our website at cck-law.com.